So today, uh, my intention today was not to do what I'm about to do. <laughs> I was trying to put off moving into the spiritual warfare uh, subject until I got back. Uh, and I, you know, I was working yesterday preparing and trying to kind of do just sort of a recap of all that we've done in Ephesians up until this point, but it just seemed like the Lord was saying, no, you need to just move in this direction. So, so what I want to do today is I want to give just kind of an overview of the, the subject of spiritual warfare. Now, remember, as we've, we've been going through Ephesians, we, we broke it down into the, the wealth, the walk, and then finally the warfare of the Christian. So first three chapters, the wealth that we have in Christ, and we talked extensively about that. And then uh, from there, we talked about the walk. We've been talking about the walk and all the different aspects of uh, practically applying our Christianity in our daily lives. And so now we come to that third and final section of the epistle, and um, the subject is warfare, spiritual warfare. So just like we did with the marriage series, we, we kind of did a series within a series. We're going through Ephesians, but we, we took a little bit longer and extended it out a bit with marriage. We're going to do the same thing with this spiritual warfare topic. It's a, it's a very um, fascinating topic. It's a very serious topic. It's not one that we hear a whole lot about. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time, at least, at least four weeks, maybe more like six weeks, looking at uh, the subject of spiritual warfare. So today, we'll just kind of give an overview, and then uh, when I get back a week after next, we'll go ahead and fully jump in uh, to the text and just working our way uh, through the text here in Ephesians chapter 6. So uh, let me start, as we just do this, this overview today, I, I want to start with a quote from A.W. Tozer. Many, many years ago, I read uh, a book by A.W. A. Tozer. There, there are many books out there. But I read a book in which he had this, this chapter on the subject of spiritual warfare, and it really stuck with me. So I want to begin with uh, quoting that paragraph there. So this is what Tozer wrote. He said, in earlier days... Men conceived the world to be a battleground. Our fathers believed in sin and the devil and hell as constituting one force, and they believed in God and righteousness and heaven as the other. These were opposed to each other in deep, grave, irreconcilable hostility. Man had to choose sides. He could not be neutral. For him, it must be life or death, heaven or hell. And if he chose to come out on God's side, he could expect open war with God's enemies. The fight would be real and deadly and would last as long as life continued here below. Men looked forward to heaven as a return from war, a laying down of the sword to enjoy the peace, to enjoy in peace the home prepared for them. Sermons and songs in those days often had a martial quality about them or perhaps a trace of homesickness. The Christian soldier thought of home and rest and reunion and his voice grew plaintive as he sang of battle ended and victory won. But whether he was charging into enemy guns or dreaming of war's end and the father's welcome home, he never forgot what kind of world he lived in. It was a battleground, and many 
were the wounded and the slain. Now, that, that paragraph is from a chapter in one of the, um, the Tozer books. The, the book was actually called God Tells the Man Who Cares, and the chapter was entitled World, Battleground or Playground. And for many, of course, the world is kind of just seen as a playground. But the reality is the world is truly a battleground. So those who see the world as a spiritual battleground, those are the people who see it accurately. And those who see it otherwise will sooner or later become a casualty in the conflict because the conflict is very real. And I think for us today, it is becoming more and more obvious that things that we used to sort of relegate to, well, you know, that's just politics or that's just social policy or that's just what they think in the academic world or whatever, things that we we tended to just put in those categories, we, we are seeing today, it's always been there, but it's becoming more blatantly obvious today that there's a strong spiritual component in all of this. And there's a strong opposition, not just to spirituality. In some ways, there's not even an opposition to spirituality. It's, there's the strong opposition is to Christ, the gospel, the biblical picture of spirituality. And so we see uh, this kind of thing more and more obviously with the passing of time. Think of the different areas in which we see it today. We see it in the rise and in the spread of militant Islam. The rise and the spread, and then, insanely enough, the, we, we see it in the, um, the unwillingness of people to really identify it for what it is, as you probably know, the current administration uh, will not use the, the term radical Islam to describe uh, what's happening with all the, the terrorism in the world today. So, uh, but yet, of course, Islam is certainly a, a, a spiritual, it's, it's a religion. And so there's obviously a huge spiritual component there. And this is one manifestation of this spiritual battle that we're talking about. The rise and the spread of militant Islam, we see it in the resurgence of communism in uh, different parts of the world. We see it in the rise of a new and very aggressive atheism. You know, there have always been atheists for centuries, and they write their books, and they find them in the philosophy departments of universities and so forth. But atheists have now come out with all the fervor of uh, fundamentalist evangelist, and uh, they, they've got their billboards in communities, and they're working actively. They're even, they're even developing atheist churches, and that's kind of a strange uh, twist on things, but that's, uh, that's one of the manifestations of this new aggressive form of atheism. So we see that. Uh, we also see this spiritual battle in the relentless and now government-sponsored attempts to impose the homosexual agenda on the culture. We see it in the, uh, the vilification of Christianity and Christians, which is becoming more and more uh, the case uh, in our culture. We see it in the resurgence of anti-Semitism. Uh, amazingly, astoundingly, in Europe, where, 
we just celebrated 70, you know, celebrated, just remembered 70 years ago, uh, Auschwitz was liberated. And, and at the same time, simultaneously, we have Jews leaving France because of the uh, continued anti-Semitic things that are, are occurring there. And it's not just limited to France either, different parts of Europe. So we see it in that. We see it in the revival of liberal theology within the church. You know, in the church you have, you've had liberalism for a couple of hundred years, but uh, to offset liberalism or in continuing with liberalism, there was always the, the evangelical movement, those who believe the Bible. But today we have, across evangelicalism, you have all kinds of theologically liberal ideas uh, coming in and becoming the normal situation. So these are all manifestations in the larger picture of things of this spiritual battle that we're talking about. But there's also the more personal side to this onslaught. And as we go through this series over these several weeks, I am absolutely certain of this, that you, you're gonna discover things that you did not previously know. You're gonna suddenly realize that, um, wow, the devil's much more active than I ever knew that he was. And you're gonna, you're gonna understand that certain things that happen in your life on a daily basis are really connected back to this. Because it's not just happening on this larger scale of uh, you know, the international scene or the national scene or within the culture or politics or whatever. There's the personal element to it. We see it in the attacks upon marriages, families, uh, children. We experience in it in an attack uh, upon our minds, uh, being plagued with, with evil images and um, things, uh, condemnation and doubt and fear and discouragement and these kinds of things. Sometimes it manifests itself in bodily afflictions. We can see it there. There's heightened temptation in the area of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You can break that down to passions, uh, possessions, and the desire for position. And it just seems like everything is uh, intensifying. And all of these things, according to scripture, are being orchestrated and manipulated by invisible forces that Paul refers to, as we read in the passage together today, as the principalities and the powers. And what does he tell us there? He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You see, what Paul is saying is that our fight is really, it's not with human beings, although it, it seems to manifest itself in that way, but there's some Thing, there are forces behind the scenes that are manipulating everything. And so we're not wrestling against other people per se, flesh and blood. Our fight is not ultimately with the Islamist. It's not with the atheist or the militant gays or the theological liberals or the cultural liberals or uh, an increasingly humanistic slash atheistic government. Our fight is with the devil and the demonic host behind the scenes because they're the ones who are manipulating everything. They're the ones who are, are in, in the end, really controlling things. Now, since that is the case, because we are in a spiritual battle, we must fight it with spiritual weapons. 
And this is where so often we miss what, what's really happening. We, we, we don't see that it's really a spiritual battle, so we're trying to fight it with weapons that are ineffective. They're never going to work. We have to identify the battle for what it is. It's spiritual, and then we have to fight it with spiritual weapons. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10.3, he said, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical. They're not physical weapons. They're, they're not merely human he said, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down or demolishing arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You see, if I don't realize that, that this stuff that we're talking about, behind it all, there, there are spiritual forces. If I'm trying to fight this physically through physical resources, whatever they might be, it's a, it's a losing battle. The only way that we can stay the, the advance of these forces of darkness is if we are taking the spiritual weapons that God has given us and we're employing those weapons. We're using those weapons. So here's the question. The question is, what are these weapons? Now, again, today we're just taking kind of an overview. We're not going into the great detail that we will go into Ultimately, so when we're talking about the weapons here, there are other things beside this. This isn't uh, um, an, ex- an exhaustive list of the weapons here. Uh, but this is just kind of more of a general look at it. So what are those weapons? Well, I'm going to mention four today. There's faith, there's prayer, there's holy living, and there's proclamation of the gospel. So let's start with faith. Faith is a great spiritual weapon. You see, because what faith does is faith believes God. Faith, faith is a, is a <laughs> that's where your, your uh, ability to fight begins because you believe God, therefore you understand the situation accurately. You know what the real problems are. So we must have faith. We must believe God. We must take God's word to heart. So that's how we start to move toward victory in this spiritual battle. We start with believing God. God gave us his word. He tells us about reality in his word. We take that to heart. We believe it. Then we must believe that God is at work in the world. I think one of the things that can happen to us today, I know it happens to me occasionally, is we can get so preoccupied with with what the devil's doing that we lose sight of the fact that God is, is also at work. You know, of course, when you watch the news, when you read the headlines and all of that sort of thing, there, there's, there's never going to be a headline that tells you, and hey, listen, man, God is on the move in... Uh, <laughs> You know, the Southern Hemisphere, it's amazing how many people are coming to faith in Christ. You're not going to read that headline, right? No, all, all we're going to read is, is about the stuff we read about, all the darkness, all the misery, all the suffering, all the, the craziness. And because that's what we're inundated with so often, we, we just become preoccupied with that. And we forget that God is at work in the midst of all of this stuff. But you see, that's the truth. In the midst of all of this craziness, God 
is working. In the midst of the insanity of this radical Islamist thing that we see going on, and of course ISIS is the most uh, obvious manifestation of it right now, this Islamic state, uh, but you know, the truth is this. Yeah, these guys are going around, they're, they're barbarous, they're murderous, and it's horrific what they're doing, but did you know that because they're doing this, multitudes, millions of Muslims are saying, you know what, I don't want to be a Muslim. If this is what Islam looks like, I don't want to be part of that. What else is there out there? And lots of people are turning to Christ. They're turning to Christians. They're wanting to know, well, what does the Bible say? So you see, all we're going to see on CNN or Fox or uh, whatever else you might use, BBC, uh, we're, we're just going to see what the devil's doing. But we have to realize, no, God is at work behind the scenes in all of this. So faith recognizes that God is at work in the world. And we also must believe that he is at work in and through his church. You see, the church is the vehicle through which God works in the world. We have to remember that. Now, God's sovereign over the world, so he uses all different kinds of things, but for the main thing that God is doing on planet Earth, which is spreading the gospel of salvation to human souls, that the church, that's the church's area. That's our, that's our job. And God has historically used the church. He is using the church today. So by faith, we have to realize that we play a, a massively important role in what's going on in world history. It's through the church that God is at work. But by faith, I believe that. I believe that to be the case. And then we must believe that God is working in us individually and he wants to work through us. You see, part of the way that the forces of darkness are gonna be beat back is, is when you, as, a, as an individual Christian, say, Lord, I want you to use me. I want you to... Uh, empower me to do your will in whatever area it, 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 whatever area you have for me so I can play my part in driving back the enemy. You know, an army is, is made up, a military force is made up of all different kinds of people who do all different types of things. And every one of us, by faith, we have to believe that, yes, God's called us into this. We, we have to be engaged. He wants to use us. Paul, in writing to Timothy, he referred to uh, Timothy as a soldier, and it's the same is true for all of us. When you became a Christian, you also became a soldier of Jesus Christ, whether you knew that or not. That's what happened. You were enlisted by him into his services. And the Bible speaks not just here in Ephesians of this spiritual battle, but Paul often uses this imagery. He says to Timothy, wage a good warfare, fight a good fight. And so personally, we're engaged in this battle, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. But if by faith I lay hold of that and I say, Lord, here I am. Use me. I believe that you want to use me. I believe that you're going to use me. I believe that you will use me. Then we will be effective. We will be helping to, to make a difference here. And then it's only by faith that we can see the work of the devil halted or slowed down 
or reversed. So we start with faith. Secondly, prayer. Prayer. We've talked about prayer recently. We, we did a whole message on prayer on a Sunday morning. As you perhaps remember, we had our week of prayer. But you know, we have to keep praying. We have to, we have to pray. And boy, as we look at our, our crazy world, as we look at our crazy culture, as we look at what's happening with our younger generation of people today, are we praying? Because that's, that's a huge uh, part of the solution to the problem, that we would be praying that God would work, that he would pour out his spirit. Jesus actually told us that certain satanic strongholds can only be broken by prayer. He told us that. Remember the story where there was this, uh, there, there was this demon-possessed young man and the father uh, took this young man to the disciples of Jesus to, for, for them to deliver him from this demonic oppression, and they couldn't do it. Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus deals with it. He takes care of it. And the disciples say, Lord, why couldn't we do that? And he says two things. Going back to the point we just made a moment ago, he says, you couldn't do it, number one, because of your lack of faith. But number two, he said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. You know, there are certain principalities and powers that are so entrenched in, in that place where they're at. They have such authority that, that that can only be driven out through intense prayer. You know, there are people's lives, there are communities, there are places where, you, you know, the, the devil just has a stronghold. I don't know if you've, you've been anywhere like that, where you just, it's, it's like you cross the city limit lines and you know you just entered right into um, a, a new sort of experience of being in enemy territory. There, there are places around that I, I sense that. And um, that, that's what Paul means when he talks about principalities and powers. What he's describing there are spiritual forces that rule over geographical regions. That's the, that's the way the world is. It's, it's ruled by these spirits. Daniel chapter 10, we're reminded of that as well. Remember the story there? Daniel sets his heart to pray. He begins to seek the Lord. He, he prays for 21 days. He's asking God to bring him understanding. For 21 days he prays. At the end of 21 days, the, the, the messenger finally arrives and he says to Daniel, he says, from the moment you set your heart to seek God, I was dispatched to come to you, but the prince of Persia resisted me. The prince of Persia, now, of course, Persia was a nation. There was an actual prince, a king that ruled over uh, Persia. But that's not who the angel was referring to. He's referring to the spiritual power that was controlling the prince of Persia. Just like those princes of Persia today, those ayatollahs, those guys over there who are promoting uh, chaos and terrorism all around the world, these, these guys are just puppets. They're being manipulated through the, these principalities and powers. But again, the point there is Daniel shows us that it was the moment he began to pray, the angel tells him, I was sent to come to you, but there was resistance. But it was his continued prayer, those 21 days of prayer that contributed to 
the, the pushing back of that resistance or the breaking of that resistance so the angel could come and bring the message. And so it is true with us today. We must pray. We must pray. We look at all of the crazy stuff going on around us and don't you feel helpless so often? Don't you just look at everything and think, God, what can we do? Doesn't seem like any of the things that we thought might, we might be able to do are, are really helping. And, you know, God help us if we're looking at 2016 saying, oh, we're, we'll get the problem solved there. We'll get, we'll get that new person in office and that'll fix everything. No, it won't fix anything because these things can't be fixed that way. They're spiritual. And so we have to pray. We have to seek God in prayer. Somebody gave me this. Somebody handed me this card after first service with a quote from Elizabeth Elliot on it. It's a good one, so I'll, I'll use it. Uh, it. She said this. Elizabeth Elliot was the wife of Jim Elliot. They were the ones who went to uh, South America to evangelize the, the Alka uh, people and uh, Jim and some friends were martyred in 1956. Uh, Elizabeth wrote this. She said, prayer is very hard work, but I am convinced that it is the most important work that we can do for God, yet it is the most neglected. It is neglected. Prayer is hard work. And you know one of the hard things about prayer? The devil does not want you to pray. So when you determine to pray, guess what he does? He determines to prevent you from praying, however he can do it, through dis simple distractions, through just, you know, things that will suddenly come up. I, I for myself, I can get up early in the morning. I am wide awake. I'm ready to go. And I'll start to pray. And man, all I want to do is get back in bed and go back to sleep because, oh, I'm just suddenly so tired. Those kinds of things. But there's fierce resistance from the enemy in regard to prayer because he knows. No, don't let Christians pray. I'm sure that's part of his instruction to his minions. Don't let them pray, whatever you're doing. It's keep them from prayer because prayer brings the enemy's plans to nothing. And so we must pray. Thirdly, another weapon is holy living. Living a righteous life. You see, that goes a long ways in a number of areas. Holy living silences the adversary. Now, you know, one of the things the devil does is he slanders God's people. And we, we know it. We hear it today. Uh, what's the stereotype of Christians in the culture? Uh, they're hypocrites. They're judgmental bigots. Uh, you know, all of this kind of stuff, right? I mean, this is, this is commonly heard out in the wider, wider culture about Christians. And whenever uh, a Christian leader falls, um, you know, does something wrong, sinful or whatever, the media is there immediately to capitalize on it and to point out again the, the hypocrisy and so forth that's taking place. Well, one of the ways that we can eliminate that is by living a godly life, living the way we are called 
by God to live. And a holy life can cause the unbeliever or even the skeptic to reconsider their position. You see, the skeptic builds his, his position on partially on, oh, well, that's Christ, Christianity. It's nothing. All Christians are hypocrites. But then what happens? A skeptic meets a Christian who's not a hypocrite at all, who's actually very sincere and very godly and very, um, you know, uh, from the human standpoint, a very good person. And suddenly that person has to start rethinking their position. So it's living that holy life, living according to God's word, that will make a difference. Holy living also increases the power of the spirit in our lives. Uh, Peter stated that God has given the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. So as we're living the way God wants us to live, as we're being uh, obedient to his word, this is actually increasing the power of the spirit in our life. And holy living also protects us from the constant attempts of Satan to neutralize us through condemnations. See, one of the things that happens so frequently is that we, because of our sin, When we sin, the devil comes along and he just says, right, there you go. See, look, you're just a loser. You're such a sinner. You're not really a Christian, or if, even if you are, you're a terrible one, so don't tell anybody. And don't think that you could be used by God. God's never going to use you. And he, through condemnation that he's able to foist upon us because of our own disobedience, he then neutralizes us. But you see, the remedy to that is let's, let's live godly lives. We can live godly lives. God's empowered us to do that. He's given us his spirit. The whole New Testament tells us that in a variety of different ways. So holy living is going to be another one of the things, the spiritual weapons that we use. Now, now none of these are in any order of priority. I'm just you know, mentioning them. And I come now to the last one here. And I say that because uh, I want to talk now about the, the proclamation of the gospel. So this is, certainly is not last. If anything, this is, this is probably first. But the proclamation of the gospel, the way God beats back the forces of darkness is by bringing in the light, by bringing in the gospel itself. This is exactly the picture that we have in the New Testament. What did Jesus do when he came? He came and he just proclaimed the gospel. And the gospel itself has the power to defeat Satan. Because what's Satan doing? He's holding people captive. And not only is he holding them captive, he is using them in his service. What does the gospel do? The gospel frees a person from that captivity and makes them a servant of God rather than a servant of Satan. So it's the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus, his remedy for the problem was go into the world and preach the gospel to everybody. When Jesus commissioned Paul on the road to Damascus, remember he apprehended Paul, Saul of Tarsus at the time, and he commissioned him to go. Later in life, Paul would retell that story and this is what he said to Agrippa. He said that Jesus sent him to the Gentiles with the gospel to turn them from darkness to light, 
and from the power of Satan to the power of God. We have got to get the gospel out. The word of God is living and powerful. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. The gospel breaks through the confusion and the moral and spiritual darkness and opens the blind eyes. And listen, one of the devil's greatest uh, tactics and, and one of his most uh, desired thing, things that, that he wants to accomplish is to silence the gospel, to prevent the gospel from going out. Now think of the places where, where Satan really holds sway over, over entire cultures. In places where you have like Islam, for example, you have a dominant religion that controls the culture. Saudi Arabia, you cannot uh, publicly be seen with a Bible, with a New Testament. You cannot publicly go out and uh, share the gospel. It's against the law. And this is true in many Islamic nations. But there's also, uh, you can find other places where you have a similar kind of a thing. Islam is the most obvious example of that. So here's Satan. He's got, this is like the ideal situation. This is the best possible scenario for him. You just, from from the top, from the king, it's mandated no Bible, no gospel. It's not gonna happen in our region. And of course, that's exactly what the communists did as well. And we're seeing that as, as governments move further and further away from any kind of a biblical worldview, that's exactly what happens. They, they don't want this message. But why would they be afraid of this message? Well, they don't know because it's not directly them, it's indirectly them. Behind them, it's the devil because the devil knows. The devil knows that the gospel is the thing that will defeat him. He knows that those captives of his will be set free when the gospel comes to them. So he wants to shut our mouths. He wants to silence the gospel from going out. So what do we have to do? We've got to just refuse to to not comply with him. We have to just keep proclaiming the gospel. And I pray often, honestly, for those guys in those places, Saudi Arabia, Iran, different places like that, for the believers, I I honestly pray, Lord, give them apostolic boldness. Because that's exactly what the Jewish leaders told the apostles in the early days, right? Don't speak in this man's name. Don't spread this message. If you do this, we're going to put you in jail. We're going to beat you. And that's exactly what they did. But what did the apostles do? They said, we've got to obey God rather than men. And if you beat us, you beat us. And if you kill us, you kill us. And I think of these men and women in these countries. How do we pray for them? Pray for apostolic boldness that God will give them the boldness to say, you know, even if you kill me, I am not going to shut up. I'm going to proclaim this word because I've got to obey God rather than man. And so this this is what the devil does because he knows that the gospel is going to bring down his empire. 
And so he hates the gospel and he does everything he can to keep it from being proclaimed and he's working in so many different ways. But we know even personally how that happens, don't we? Where we find ourselves in, an, in a situation where we have an opportunity to share the gospel and suddenly we just go dumb. We, we don't even, you know, what do I say? Our minds go blank. Wait, what do, what do I believe? I, I can't even remember right now. Or we suddenly get intimidated. You know, maybe like Peter, that big burly fisherman with a little servant girl going, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? Heck no, I'm no I don't even know who you're talking about. What was that all about? Well, that was Satan. Striking fear in Peter. And that same kind of thing happens with us, doesn't it? But listen, when that happens, know that this is what's going on. That's the devil. He doesn't want you to talk about Jesus. He doesn't want you to share with anybody. Because he knows that the gospel itself is the power. Just a little tiny seed of the gospel dropping on the heart of a person, that can be the end for him. He's lost them. So he wants to silence us. We have got to proclaim the gospel. These are the spiritual weapons that God has given to us. You know, we look at our world, we look at our culture that's just going berserk, and we think, Lord, what can we do? We've got to get the gospel to people. And listen, don't be fooled into thinking that people don't want to hear it. Don't be fooled into thinking that, oh, it's not going to do any good. They're not going to pay any attention. They're not going to listen. No, people are still open. People will listen. Most people have never really heard the gospel itself. That's the problem. People have heard, of course, they know about Christianity, and of course, they know a little bit about Jesus. They've heard his name, obviously, and he's a son of God, died on a cross. You know, most people have heard that, but believe it or not, there are still people in our own communities who have never heard that message. Some people have never heard of Jesus, even, even in our own nation. It's true. You see, sometimes we operate on the assumption that, oh, everybody's heard it, they've rejected it, it's no use. No, people have not heard it. I know I never heard the gospel. I, I heard about it, and I wasn't really that interested. You know, I heard about it. But it wasn't until I heard it for what it really was. Oh, that, that's different than I thought. I thought it was just about going to church. I thought it was just about, you know, not doing all the fun stuff I was doing and having to do a bunch of boring stuff. I didn't know it was about being delivered from the guilt of my sin. I didn't know it was about the assurance of knowing that I was going to heaven. I didn't know that it was about living in a relationship with the, the God who created me, who loves me, who wants to do a work in my life on a daily basis. I didn't know any of that stuff. And when I found that out, well, that was good news. See, most people are operating out there. They, they, they think they've rejected the gospel. They've never heard the gospel. So they haven't really rejected it. And we can't fall for that thinking that they've rejected it. So the proclamation of the gospel. We must work while it is day, Jesus said. And you know, I've, I've been 
just recently, I've had some conversations with friends, and as you look at the world, like I said earlier, and you see all the madness, and you, you just think, wow, what, what can we do? And it just seems like we're losing this battle, and so forth. And this passage has come to mind. We must work while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. Oh, people are saying, oh, persecution's coming, and they're going to put you in jail, and this is going to happen, and all of that. You know what? Maybe so. But I'm going to work while it is day. It's, it's not night yet. So as long as we've still got the day, let's just work and come what may, whatever, whatever's going to happen. We're going to just trust the Lord. If that's where it's headed, that's where it's headed. But right now, we've got open doors. Right now, we, we can still preach the gospel. We're not going to worry about what they might do. Oh, the FCC is going to shut you down because you, you said Jesus is the only way. Okay, well, if they do that, then what can we do? But until they do that, we're going to keep saying Jesus is the only way. We're just going to keep doing it. That's what we are called to do. So in closing, the battle lines, I think, are being clearly drawn. And on one side, I think more clearly than ever, it's sin and it's Satan. The satanic component behind all of this is becoming more and more obvious. It's sin It's Satan. It's the powers of darkness. But on the other side is righteousness and Christ and the kingdom of heaven. There's no neutral ground. The Bible's clear about that. There's there's no middle ground in this war. You're either on one side or you're on the other. There's no um, zone where you can get in. Just say, hey, you know what? I'm not on either side. I don't agree with either one of these. I'm I'm just in this zone right here. That zone does not exist. We're in a battle. We're in a war. And we need to fight. We need to to just make the decision, I'm going to fight. You know, the Lord of the Rings, it's such such a great analogy there in many ways, but such a great picture. You know, there was that temptation to just stay in the Shire. Oh, because all of that stuff was so far away, and you know, the Shire was so nice and peaceful, and there, there were no problems in the Shire. What do you want to leave the Shire for and go to Mordor and do, oh, you know, that's kind of the underlying, one of the underlying thoughts there. But then there was the reminder it would eventually come to the Shire. You see, evil will never stop unless you stop it. As someone said, the way evil advances is simply for good men to do nothing. That's all you gotta do because evil has a a power all of its own. It's imperialistic. It'll take over everything. And the only way it won't is if somebody says no. It stops here. And we do that. We're the ones that are called to do that in the culture today. You know, I, I am absolutely astounded at the betrayal of this culture by some leaders. I'm, I'm just astounded at how politicians have just completely sold out for their ideologies and for their positions and things. And they've sold the, the next generation is completely down the tube. 
And somebody has to say, no, that's wrong. That's still wrong. It's always been wrong. It's always going to be wrong. We don't care what you say. It's wrong. We got to do that. And it won't be the popular thing to do. And it might cost us dearly in the long run, but, but we've got to do it. Jesus did that for us. He stood in the gap. It's time for us to stand. It's time for us to stand for our families, for our children, for our marriages, for our God, for his kingdom. We've got to do it. So God help us to do it. I want to close with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. We began with a quote from Tozer, closing with a quote from Spurgeon. It's a good, it's a good sermon. They were both great preachers. Spurgeon said this, or in response, Spurgeon was the great Victorian preacher in London. Spurgeon, when asked on the spur of the moment to say a few words to some Bible students, said this. Well, men, I have nothing to say to you except this. Whenever you see the devil, have a shot at him. I like that. Have a shot at him. Wherever you see him at work, have a shot at the devil because, of course, he's shooting at you. If you see sin, he says, call it what it is. Boy, in, in our day, that's what we have got to do that. We've got to call it what it is. No, no, that's sin. I'm sorry. That hurts your feelings, but it's just the reality is sin. Oh, we don't do it hatefully. But of course, in our environment today, if just saying it is hateful in the minds of some people. But we need to call sin, sin. He said, if you see doubt, seek to expel it. If you, you see darkness, bring the light to bear upon it. Take a shot at the devil this week. Where you see his activity, take a shot at it. Pray against that. If you have an opportunity, open your mouth, speak up, stand for the Lord. We're in a spiritual battle, and it's not getting any less challenging or difficult. It's only getting more challenging and more difficult, but by the grace of God, we will stand. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Thank you, Lord, for your victory, that we are not fighting for victory, but from victory. Thank you, Lord, that the war has already been won. You won it. You defeated those principalities and powers upon the cross, and now it's just a matter of time before that's all apparent to all. And as we're just in the, the death throes of the kingdom of darkness, Lord, help us to stay at our post and to be faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation who fought the devil and defeated him on the cross. Oh, Lord, help us to be faithful to you, we pray. Amen.